Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. And we are back with our fifth and final episode on the triple catch to moving mountains. We have been exploring what Jesus wanted us to understand when it comes to our harboring unforgiveness and how that impacts our ability to move mountains and to wither the fruitless trees in our lives. And keep in mind, we're still exploring the triple catch in order to find out what it takes for God to give us a heart that does not doubt. So we can pray without doubting and by faith say to this mountain, be removed and it be lift up and cast into the sea. In our last episode, we covered the practical example set by Jesus when he chose to wash the feet of those who would betray, deny, and abandon him. This example taught us how the towel literally covers up the dirt and muck from our lives, our betrayal, denial, and abandonment of others. And the water washes it all away, so no one has to look at the filth any longer, and no one has to be judged for their failures. We also contemplated the requirement for us to, above all, keep fervent in our love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, this is how we must treat one another, above our duties in ministry, above our religious excuses, which we use to divide and separate from those who hurt us, above our fear of vulnerability, above our fear of being hurt again, above our pain, above our wisdom, which builds walls and boundaries, above our feelings of self-protection, above taking care of others, above our pride, and above our arrogance that we must be the one to teach the offender a lesson. Yes, above all. Above all, we must be fervent or burning hot in our love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love literally keeps us from staring at or even observing the sins of others. And it helps keep the offender from indulging in some sort of religious flagellation for their failings. And more importantly, it keeps others from doing the same. Love covers a multitude of sins by taking the towel and covering up the transgression and then taking the water and wiping it all away as if it were never there in the first place. Now, let us pick up with this requirement that we must forgive so that he will forgive. We move and he moves. When we grasp the heavenly perspective, we find ourselves in agreement with God and are willing to let him have his way with us. Then living in forgiveness does not seem as out of reach or idyllic as maybe it once did. Colossians 3, 12 through 16. So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. I previously spoke of our cooperation with the Spirit. This verse captures that cooperation, where we move and he moves. 
The verb put on is a parsed verb. What that means is it can be rendered two ways. In the aorist middle imperative and the aorist passive imperative. In other words, on the one hand, we're to dig down deep in our soul and embrace a lifestyle where we choose to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Hence the middle voice. It's a choice we make. On the other hand, God will, by the power of the Spirit, enable us to embrace a lifestyle where we choose to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Hence the passive voice. The Spirit will move. Accordingly, we will be able to now and continually dig down deep in our soul and choose to bear with one another. And now and continually dig down in our soul and choose to forgive one another. But it all comes from the power that's given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Thus, we must choose to forgive, and the Spirit must enable us to forgive, just as the Lord forgave us and has both removed our sins as far as the east is from the west and continually washes our feet clean, we must be willing to present him our feet and let him wash our feet. The goal of forgiveness. The goal of God asking us to forgive others so we might be forgiven is clear. Love. Love is the perfect bond of unity. It keeps us together. Where there is malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of division, disputes, dissensions, factions, gossips, arrogance, and disturbances, there is division, not unity. Furthermore, division is infectious and it, and it just spreads far and wide, separating relationships that were once thought of as indivisible and unassailable. At the center of all this division is unforgiveness, not love. Hence the requirement to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and to be thankful. We were called in one body, not a divided body. Thus preserving this unity is paramount to our decision to forgive as we have been forgiven. Here's one thing I learned. It is never me and God, but it is always we and God. That is how his kingdom functions in a community that dwells in unity. In addition, we are commanded to now let the peace of Christ rule or literally arbitrate or govern in our hearts. This means that when we are offended, hurt, betrayed, denied, abandoned, mistreated, hated, or so many other vile things, we are to let the truth take command over our thoughts and emotions. The truth that sin, which once separated people from God and people from one another, has been absorbed into Christ's body, and he has been judged for it. Therefore, there is no platform of guilt remaining upon which we are to judge anyone. None. He has made peace with us so that we can make peace with others. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. By letting peace be the arbitrator of our hearts, our emotions, and our inner beliefs, we begin to be able to take those thoughts of victimization, judgment, condemnation, and fear and govern them with the truth such that they they lose their power over our lives. Besides, nothing is more loftier and more raised up against the true knowledge of God 
than for us to believe what happened in our lives, in our past or present, and what might happen in the future is someone's fault other than our Adonai Yahweh, the Lord, our God Almighty, the only one who sovereignly reigns over the kingdom of man. We must never forget, whether for correction or for his word or for loving kindness, he, Yahweh, causes it to happen. Why or what? Given this understanding, the question we should wrestle with when it comes to all the wounds and trauma of our past, as well as the wounds of our now, is not with the victim cry of, why did this happen to me? Or why is all this happening to me now? But what is God trying to teach me? Remember, we have perfect peace with God. Therefore, he does not react to our sin. But because he is jealous for us and committed to making us wholly his own, to making us like him, he addresses our sin to, us, to instruct us in how we are to live and not die. How to experience the peace that always arbitrates for his love. This is the only way to silence the accusations and appeals of the tormentors. Forgiving God. I have said over and over that our fight is not with man, but ultimately with God. Our fight is about the pain and trauma which man and the heavenly beings have brought into our lives, but which God has directed and determined. For years, this caused me to question the goodness of God and was the reason I held deep-seated bitterness and resentment towards him for what he had done with me and to me. And even though I have known the truth about his purposes and intentions, and even though he had instructed me in the ways of the heavenly perspective, the pain I endured had locked away in my soul a distrust that I was unable to unravel, that terrible feeling that I am not safe with man or with God. I wish transformation were as simple as learning the truth and then shazam, we are magically changed. But that's not how it goes. We must become convinced of the truth at all levels of our being, our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength. Yes, even our body has cellular memory that holds to the wounds and traumas we have incurred. But if we do not become convinced of the truth at all levels, well, it's just a truth, but it's not our truth, and therefore it's not transformative. But for the truth to become our truth, it takes time and intention, patience, and endurance. But if our goal is to know life, then similar to Christ, we must die to our unforgiveness. We must set aside our desire for justice for vengeance and wrath, and we must stop thinking that there could have been a different way. This is literally how we take our thoughts captive. Like Jesus realized in the garden, there could be no other way, not for him, not for me, and not for you. For God's ways are perfect, and his will in our lives is good, pleasing, and perfect. It just does not feel that way. But we must subject our feelings, our thoughts, and our wicked desire to the truth. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. Psalm 145.17-19, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. 
He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Psalm 111.3 and 7. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. All he does is just and good. Going back to the beginning. I have faith, but I also have doubt. That doubt that God is going to show up for me and fulfill his promises. Doubt that my mountains will move and be tossed into the sea or that that tree will wither. Honestly, the pain which God had to inflict in my life to break through my personal darkness, especially my religious darkness, has for the longest time stunted my ability to freely trust him for all things. Therefore, I have found that as a start of seeking a heart that did not doubt, it was necessary that I forgive God. I know it sounds strange, but I believe at the core of every human being is anger towards God. At some level, everyone knows that God is sovereign and responsible, but we simply have no place to fit that in our brains. So we choose to blame others. We choose to blame ourselves. We blame the devil. We blame anybody but God. We build systems of belief that tear away from the obvious truth. But there is one truth that is so clear from biblical cover to cover, and that is that Yahweh is the Alpha and the Omega, the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. He is Adonai Yahweh, sovereign over all the affairs of humanity. And being before all things, he is the true impetus for everything that happens in our lives. Nothing happens that he did not start. Even his name, Yahweh, is rooted in the Hayah, the I Am. And it declares that all is from him. Ironically for me, I knew that to be true. I believed that to be true. And it made me extremely angry. Very angry at God. I thought he should have done things differently and treated me better. I just wanted him to be tender with me. In fact, I would tell him, I would not treat my kids the way you've treated me. How is that love? And while I thought I made a good argument, and while I thought I made a good argument, I realized at the same time, it was pretty stupid. I was just throwing a fit because I did not like the pathway he determined for my life. But instead of correcting and putting me in my place, he just reminded me how much he loves me and how desperately he desires for me to understand his love, to live in his love, and to remain in his love. As he told Israel, he also told me, I am sorry for the evil I had to bring upon you. Getting in touch with the emotions of affection and tenderness which God has towards me, it helped settle my anger and my fight. I realized God was not being mean, but he was doing what had to be done, what was inherently good, what was needed to make me like him. After all, I'm in no place to understand the depth of delusion, darkness, sickness, and evil that ruled in my heart, but he did. And he was the only one who could do something about it. Besides, he's only been fulfilling my prayers where I asked to make me more like him, to know him more, to have more of him, and to abide in his love. Yes, he has just been doing what I asked him to do. Although I must tell you, I clearly did not understand what those requests were going to require from me when I prayed. I guess I thought transformation would be like magic. Shazam. Well, at least I hoped it was. So he asked me to forgive him. He asked me to let go of my anger towards him and to trust him with my heart, mind, soul, and strength. At first, it was very weird coming to God in prayer and verbalizing the words, uh, I forgive you. 
I mean, that's not something we would normally ever consider was right or appropriate. After all, he is God and I am not. And he didn't do anything wrong. But he is my God and he is my lover and my father and he cares about how I feel. He knows the pain and anguish he has caused me. He is not delusional and he did not like it either. But the truth is, there was no other way. Jesus found this out in the garden. There was no other way. To experience resurrection life, there must first be death. We got to die to live, and we got to live to love. Now, I agreed with my mind and my soul that there could have been no other way. I knew this was right. But my emotions and my body have been a bit slower to surrender to his truth. Still, I've chosen to cooperate and let the Holy Spirit open up areas of my deepest pain in order that the truth of God's goodness may flood my being. Therefore, I ask the Spirit to help me release and forgive all who have brought this pain into my life, including myself. And this has not been an overnight miracle, believe me, but it's been a journey, a step-by-step process. Some parts happen very quickly, others annoyingly slow. And still, I realize that there are areas of my being that I have simply not been able to reach, like in my reactive brain that still tells me I'm not safe. But I believe the Holy Spirit will continue to do this work of helping me forgive until even my fight-or-flight mechanism abides in peace. Release the debt. A short while back, some friends were praying for me in my business. And while they were praying, God told one of them, release the debt. They were not sure how that related to me in my business, but I understood he was talking about the debt I believed I was owed from others and from him. It was all clogging the pathways of his blessing and was a barrier to intimacy with him and with others. Therefore, release the debt started me on a path to pursue forgiveness at all levels. And I believe that as I continue to release the debt, several things will happen. I believe peace will be the arbitrator of my heart, not deceitful wickedness or religious delusion. I believe I will not judge others, but see them in the light of God's heavenly perspective. I believe I will abide in forgiveness as a way of life, and I will live in unity and peace with others. I believe I will be able to take communion in a worthy manner and honor both the body and the blood, thereby shaming the forces of wickedness. I believe the areas of my mind, my heart, and my body where the tormentors have caused me to be weak and sick will be restored and healed. I believe I will no longer doubt what God will do or not do for me as a result of my measuring his intentions by what I think I deserve or fail to deserve. I believe I will be able to abide in peace such that I will hear what he wants me to pray and act on what he wants me to act and therefore be confident that I have the very things I have asked. I believe that nothing will be impossible for me and all things I ask in prayer believing I will receive. 1 John five fourteen through 15 This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. When the Spirit, with my cooperation, purges those deeds of the flesh that are rooted in unforgiveness and removes the obstacles to intimacy with him, 
I am confident that I will be able to do only what he wants me to do, say only what he wants me to say, and go only where he has bound me to go when he instructs me. Thus, I will be able to ask all things according to his will, confident that I have the requests which I have asked, even when that ask is to remove mountains or wither unproductive trees. This is how Yahweh leads us away from danger to a place free of distress, to a table with the best food. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.